Hi. Hey, Shorty. How are you, Tals? I'm good. How are you? I am very good. So much better for having heard your voice. Oh, same. Mm. And hello to everyone listening. Thank you so much for joining us again for what I've just realised is our 10th episode. <gasps> 10 with Tals and Shorty. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> for me for us like well done us yes we've done the thing this is super cool Mm. Mm. oh don't mind me guys just having a cuppa in the background as well (laughs) because i am cold oh a good choice a cuppa or a bottle of wine you know (laughs) (laughs) tempting very tempting. <laughs> mm. Join them together and you've got mulled wine. Mm. How dare you tempt me like this? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Tiles, let's, let's start with something that isn't, you know, the raging shitstorm that is the current situation across the world. Mm. Let's talk about three things that made you smile this week. Oh, okay. So, number one, I'm going to go with audiobooks. Mm. I've just, just sort of not stumbled upon them. It's not like they're newly discovered, but they're new to me. Mm. What have if you been you can reading? Hear mysterious something in the background, folks. That's just my dog deciding he needs to try and eat through the wall. Ah. <laughs> oh. Good old Jeff. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What have I been reading? I just read, I've been reading some murder mysteries or listening to some murder mysteries. Mm. So there's a bit of Sherlock Holmes, a bit of Agatha Christie, and then just some historical murder, which, you know, I'm all about. Amazing. Yeah. Another thing what that is- made me smile. Um, what else made me smile? There's been a lot that's made me smile. It's not like I'm racking my brain for something. But <laughs> it's sorting through. I saw some, yeah. I saw some really nice sunrises this week. That was mm. excellent. And then yes. the third thing is you. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. my God. Right in the hot streets. You're going to be <laughs> one of mine. <laughs> yes. Yes, so my first thing is definitely Tiles. <laughs> Your existence <laughs> is such a gift. Such a gift. Mm. Um, and I was watching a video on, um, like, I love this YouTube channel called The Take, which we'll link in the you know show notes below. But they did a video on the best friend trope that I recently watched. And they were saying, or the hypothesis that they put forward at the end is that the best friendships don't ever come from a place where it feels like you're standing in the shadow of someone and always comes from a place of lifting each other up. So Hmm. you were the Oprah to my Gale. And I'm so about it. (laughs) 
That's so nice. I feel like my life is complete. I've just been compared to Oprah. You were the Oprah of my life. <laughs> and we also we also did come to the conclusion that if we had to survive <clears throat> in the event of, you know, you know, the world locking down, all we would need is you. <laughs> Because you have all of the necessary life skills to get us through everything. And I'll just be there with a bottle of... Um, I am like Jack Sparrow of this situation. <laughs> Not entirely necessary, gone. but very good fun. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. So um, I'll just yeah. go full Rambo. Oh my god, amazing. <laughs> I cannot ask for more. Ripped jean jackets. Yeah. bringing Um, them back hell yeah okay so my second thing that made me smile this week were my year seven class they made me giggle lots of times this week and made me smile Mm. so much so that was so lovely um i have a class of um mostly boys and it's a sports class so we don't stream at the school that i work at but we do sort kids into their interests. So rather than doing a language, my sports kids actually um, do an extra period of like health and human development kind of study. Yeah. Girl, girl, I just, I feel like I've just got to share something real quick because it's something everyone's going to appreciate. So I'm I'm looking at the window as we talk in a very like wholesome kind of situation. And the dog literally ran past the window at full sprint and leapt into the air to bite leaves off the tree outside the window <laughs> and ran off again. And I just don't know if he is all right. <laughs> I think there's something wrong with him. I think I think your dog is, is broken. Um. <laughs> yeah, he's broken. He thinks he's a kangaroo. <laughs> Thank you. This is the best interruption. No, this is the best interruption we could have possibly asked for. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like if I didn't share, I'd just dissolve into laughter and everyone think, yep, she's done it. She's finally gone. She's also broken. Um. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Attack. (laughs) Oh, my God, that makes me so happy. That's actually the best interruption. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Sorry, so your sports class. That's basically it. They are they are the jock of my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like every now and then one of them will stand up and walk around and I'll be like, what you doing, bud? <laughs> <laughs> but it makes me giggle and they're so funny. They're so interesting and they're so interested. Um, mm-hmm. So I really love having them. That's the second thing that makes me smile. And then the third thing, I'm going to have to go with my good boy, my old boy, Kovu. Um, oh, we found Kovu. He is such a, he's such a good boy. Like every now and then he'll do something. Su- like he started getting into the habit because I'm the one that takes him out to use the bathroom. He'll look at me mm-hmm. as he pees. Oh, and apparently that's them showing you that they feel safe with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it warms my heart. So you've got this like crazy mad woman in her ridiculous pajamas walking around with her dog at the front going like, go on, do your business, do your business. And then like 
giggling and sighing when he looks over while he's you know taking a piss like that's that's where I'm at (laughs) with my life right now (laughs) so good (sighs) thank you (sighs) I like I'm glad we had some like warmth to the start of this episode because Mm -hmm. I actually think today's topic is um it's quite somber and it can be quite triggering. So this is a warning in advance if um, you do feel triggered by when people speak about colonization or intergenerational trauma, um, then perhaps, racism. you know, yeah, racism. Um, skip this episode. Wait for the next one. It'll be great. Um or even go back to one of your favorite episodes that we've recorded so far. But today we'll be talking about what is called lateral violence. Mm. And lateral violence um, is often described as internalized colonialism. So mm-hmm. we know it has to do with um, oppression and often racism and systems of power that cause people to feel anger Mm. and frustration. Um, And I think Richard Franklin best kind of surmised it when he defined it as the organized harmful behaviors that we do to each other collectively as part of an oppressed group within our families, Mm -hmm. within our organizations, and within our communities. When we are consistently oppressed, we live with great fear and great anger, and we often turn on those who are closest to us. Mm. So lateral violence at its core is violence that we put onto the people that we should help lift up. Yeah. Um, I think this idea really solidified um, and really kind of, it was most clearly articulated um, in, in regards to Australia's Indigenous populations. Mm. Um, but I do think that it, is a really transferable phrase. It's a a super transferable idea. So you can see lateral violence um, within women and within women's Mm -hmm. groups. Um, As an Anglo-Indian person, um, I can absolutely see lateral violence within both the Indian and Anglo-Indian communities. And that's, that's where I'm coming from with this topic. So I am coming from a space where I have witnessed this kind of violence Um, and it's not always physical violence. It can be, yeah, it can be an emotional or a psychological violence. Um, So yeah, that's, that's where I'm coming from today. And I thought that, I might get started by telling you what the causes of lateral violence are. 
Yes. So the roots of lateral violence, and this is according to Creative Spirit. So this is an Indigenous website. Mm-hmm. But the causes of lateral Incredible violence. Incredible website. Sorry, sorry. It's the, no, Everyone please. should check this website out. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing website. Um, and it really clearly and kindly outlines um, Mm -hmm. lateral violence here, where it says that the roots of lateral violence lie in colonization, oppression, intergenerational trauma, powerlessness, and ongoing experiences of racism and discrimination. And I think when we speak about this, it's super important to acknowledge how intergenerational trauma does play a huge role in how lateral violence becomes so pervasive within minority groups. Mm. So they're not um, overt. You don't actually they're hard to verbalize and they're hard to pinpoint. But I think the way that I've seen it manifested in my own cultural groups is, and as we spoke about in toxic positivity, an immense sense of both shame and an overwhelming need to feel superior. Mm-hmm. And those two things work hand in hand to create a a figurative barrier between actually vocalizing how you feel and being able to feel vulnerable and safe. So just a little bit of background about Anglo-Indian. There are two kinds. So there is the kind where one of your parents is from India and the other parent is from um, usually England, but it could be any kind of Caucasian culture, really. Um, And then there's the type of Anglo-Indian that is the race created by the British during their colonization of India that were meant to work as translators for the British so um, my family is the latter so my parents are both Anglo-Indian their parents were Anglo-Indian and it was their parents before them that had um, British or European blood Mm -hmm. and so I think what I've seen is that there's a real sense of pride in the Anglo-Indian community um Like, my parents wouldn't like me to say that I'm Indian. They would like me to say that I'm Anglo-Indian because there is Mm. a huge distinction for them between, you know, unfortunately, us and them. Mm -hmm. Um, And a sense of superiority, too, um, against people who who aren't Anglo-Indian but from India which is horrifying 
to say out loud. Um, mm-hmm. And it's this kind of, this is the kind of lateral violence I'm talking about. I, um, I'm not talking about the kind where you see people going through immense amounts of physical trauma, but I'm very much talking about the kind where um, it's your actual mind frame and your worldview that is, a li- that I would argue, is warped. And it's kind of, it's, it's really hard to put into words how this did affect me as a child and I've had to do lots of unlearning now as an adult. What do you mm. think, Tiles? Um, oh yeah, I, well, I've been like learning and watching and thinking about lateral violence or lateral racism for the last couple of years um, and just watching it play out and it's goes it's such a a colonial construct in order to ensure that there is some sort of social hierarchy that Mm. can never be fully dismantled because if those within the hierarchy who are deemed as minorities are constantly fighting against one another and being made to feel as they need to play off each other then it effectively keeps the colonial regime in power Mm. Mm -hmm. because when you have that embedded systemic hierarchy, it can't be overturned without cohesive effort from the oppressed. Mm. So I think it's a very clever construct, like lateral racism, and you can see it insidiously enforced within um, Western countries and um, immigrants within Western countries feeling that need to one-up. I might be an immigrant, but I'm not that sort of immigrant or Mm -hmm. I'm not this, I'm not that, um, which effectively makes me better. Yes. And you can just, it just becomes this cesspit of toxic, toxicness. Totally. That's, that's actually it. It becomes an exclusionary way of, or an exclusive, it's a, it's a way to maintain exclusivity. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it reinforces all of the things that, people work so hard to fight against so it yeah like you can't fight the mindset of someone you can't it's so hard to change what someone believes is the only way of being Mm. um it's like i think people often underestimate how much value there is on internalizing a system 
And as I do more reading, I'm clearly becoming more anarchist in my beliefs. (laughs) But, But I just, I cannot trust a system that so clearly does rely on a structure of power. Mm-hmm. It seems ridiculous to me that I should try to, you know, remain within a system where in order to feel success, to be viewed as successful, others must suffer. Mm. I I cannot trust this system. Mm-hmm. That's very fair. Mm. And I think that's I was watching a um a short documentary the other day about this woman who built like built her house. It's completely sustainable. She lives off the land. Um and she was very vehement in her opposition to capitalist culture. Mm. And saying, I, you know, I just needed to break away from that machine because it did not serve me. I only served it. Mm. And there's so much to unpack in, like, our subservience to capitalism and the things we're told we need to do and be and the steps we need to go through to be considered a valuable member of society. Mm-hmm. I think I'd much rather be considered a valued member of the earth than of a society. That just really resonates with me. Mm. That's exactly what it is. You were going to say. Mm. I was just thinking, like, you know, in my day-to-day, I go to work, I work, I come home, maybe I go out or I do whatever it is. But it's interesting how living in the centre of Melbourne, how little I do that is actually productive and beneficial for the planet. Like, yes, I recycle, I try to live as sustainably as I can. I do X, Y, I do Y, I do Z. Don't use plastic bags and all this sort of stuff. But in my day-to-day existence, I could probably go a whole day without even stepping on the grass. Mm-hmm. Anyway, lateral violence. <laughs> Please bear with me trying to derail capitalism in a 40-minute podcast episode. But do you know what? I think capitalism and colonialism are so intertwined because who sits at the top of our mm. capitalist hierarchy? The colonialists. Yeah. Of course they've inbuilt several systems that go from, you know, an economic system to a to an ideological system to, you know, having a democratic system where we feel like we have the right to vote, but really if we think about it, who are we voting for? Mostly people who are white. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, and mostly men and mostly men. And I think what irritates me the most when I do think about the systems that we have is how few people stop to think about it or how few, like how few people think, is this really like freedom from an oppressor, uh, an oppressor rather? Mm. Like what freedoms do I have? 
Do I have bodily autonomy? Sometimes. Depends. Do you have endometriosis? Yeah. Because if you do, then no. No. You don't have bodily autonomy. (laughs) So I just, I think lateral violence really plays into this idea that, and thank you so much for bringing this up. I had completely forgotten about this point that it is some, it's, it is a construct used to maintain a system of power. Mm. And the maintenance of it benefits those at the top. Yes, absolutely. Um, It's so easy to be mad at someone who doesn't have power over you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, we, off- we always use um, a pyramid to represent social structure, whether that is with the feudal system, with capitalism, with whatever sort of social um, hierarchy it is we're looking at. We always use a pyramid to represent that because it is the total like numerical minority who hold power and the upper echelons of power. Mm-hmm. And the only way they can keep that power is to systemically oppress everyone below a certain point or falling within a certain series of demographics. And if you if you thought about the uh, I suppose the numerical weighting of societies if there weren't things like lateral violence in place if there weren't things like um, unequal access to healthcare or whatever sort of systemic barrier is in mm. place that power balance imbalance wouldn't be able to be maintained by the absolute two percent Absolutely. And I think it was Pearson that says, Pearson says something about like the, like the gravitational forces are so strong at the bottom as to almost prevent progress. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it is so hard to get, like we often watch stories of the underdog succeeding our media also tells us that it is possible for what is it mobility like like social mobility Mm -hmm. there is always an opportunity for the underdog to overcome or to get to the top of the pyramid and unfortunately that's just not the case Mm. or the the rebranding of who is considered an underdog like, the I remember when Donald Trump was like it was the campaign running against Hillary, etc. Blah blah blah, and someone close said, "Oh, I almost hope not. Almost, I kind of hope he wins because I just love rooting for the underdog." I said to pause and think, in what world is Donald Trump? <laughs> Yes, he doesn't have a political background. He's still a white male billionaire. And his his billionaire status is like hereditary. Mm. He sits at the top of the money waterfall and his family has sat there 
for years, generations. Yeah. In um, no, go, 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 go. I'll talk about this after. <laughs> oh no, that was just going to be a sigh of exasperation. Oh my god, hit us. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I think it's best surmised in the Vonnegut novel, um, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, um, where mm. they describe um, the money river. Mm-hmm. So let me see if I can find it for us. <clears throat> I've read in my life that I never thought I would reach and I am quoting Kurt Vonnegut almost on the daily. <gasps> oh my god, yes. And also he is a just, white man. <laughs> I and I don't particularly like his books, but <gasps> really? it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm a huge Vonnegut fan. I think he's really funny. I've only read Slaughterhouse Five. Which so I, I really also... don't have much to go on. I highly recommend God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. And here is why. Here is the quote about money. Thus did a handful of rapacious citizens come to control all that was worth controlling in America. Thus was the savage and stupid and entirely inappropriate and unnecessary and humorless American class system created. Honest, industrious, peaceful citizens were classed as bloodsuckers if they asked to be paid a living wage. And they saw that praise was reserved henceforth for those who devised means of getting paid enormously for committing crimes against which no laws had been passed. Thus, the American dream turned belly up, turned green, bobbed in the scummy surface of cupidity unlimited, filled with gas, went bang in the noonday sun. Yeah, damn. Okay, mm-hmm. definitely going to read that book. Mm-hmm. He just gets it. And the best part about this book is that our main character is a Donald Trump-like character. And he is, like, he's, he, mm, let me rephrase that. So he's a Donald Trump-like character in that he was raised with the same silver fucking spoon. But he mm. is not at all like Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah. So privilege, but, um, and it's going to say this on the blurb on the back, he's considered crazy in his society for being a good person by what our society would consider a good person. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, He, he is considered legally insane. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so what do we think? Lateral racism, we've like absolutely happens between my- minority cultures. I think if we can co-opt a term without being insensitive or colonialist in ourselves you can absolutely see that amongst women and like the classification of feminism Mm. and who's a bad feminist for what Mm -hmm. yep yeah just i can see that it's like 
snakes in a bag and then, you know, the, whatever whoever holds power shakes the bag and just watches them rise. Oh, what a horrifically accurate metaphor. Mm. That's literally it. That's exactly what it is. But one day the bag will break mm. and we'll bite that motherfucker. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the end goal. One podcast at a time. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm. I think maybe what we should do next week is continue on with this kind of breakdown of society. Society, man. Literally. The Sorry. worst. <laughs> Just a little into the wild quote there for you. Bash and Coleman, that's for you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Thank you for that. For I, I, I feel like sometimes by no means do we have all the answers or expect to have all the answers or even pretend to have all the answers. But I think even when we do these sombre episodes that are perhaps a little bit, you're, you know, we're working through whatever topic it is at the same time as you, it's the things that, you know, we're grappling with as well. And but we hope that all the topics we discuss will resonate or educate or elucidate a particular mm. situation or reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And to maybe bring us back to a little bit more of a sunny tone, I do have a would you rather for you. Yes. Okay. Shorty <laughs> asks the best would you rather, but they're also <laughs> terrifying. So... Yeah, Help sometimes me, everyone. I really mean. Um, <laughs> but I think <laughs> I feel like I feel like this one is going to be pretty intense. But I also oh god, think, okay. But I also think that you're going to like. I feel like no, you'll just. <clears throat> so, would you rather <laughs> have a horrible job but be able to retire comfortably in ten years, or have your dream job but work until the day you die? Horrible job, retire. Damn, really? Yes. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so fast. <laughs> oh, I think I would actually have my dream job. <laughs> really? I would. That's so nice. But do you know what? My dream job is not um, teaching. My dream job is to, like, be a musical performance person. And I would, like, love yeah, to fair. do that every day. Oh, okay. Actually, oh, damn. Yeah. Okay. Does this come with the caveat of success? Or not caveat, but the the mm. promise. Because, I was... yeah, I'd love to be an author and work until the day I die. But if I suck, <laughs> and, like, yeah, sure, I can write every day, but I'm never getting published, then... Oh, this is true. I think it should, I think success is built into this because when it says dream job, we don't just think dream job because it's what we would like, you know, it's what, it's what we really want to do. It's because we feel like we 
should be able to gain success in it. Our merit, okay. our merit warrants success. All right. I'll, I'll go with the dream job. Yes. Oh, my God. Tell us what kind of books you're writing. Oh, all of them. All of them. Good. <laughs> Just not bound by genre. But then also, oh, yeah, no. Okay. I'll go with author. I'll stick with in terms of my capitalist productivity. Oh, that's the one I'll choose. <laughs> I mean, the worst, I, I was trying to explain, not, um, I don't know. What, what, so at our school, we have lots of kids who come from migrant backgrounds. And I was trying to explain to my year sevens the other day how hard it is for migrant families to like gain and acquire wealth and stability. Mm. And this seems like a heavy topic to be talking about to year sevens, but... Our main themes are identity and belonging. And since so many of our kids come from newly migrated backgrounds, um, like we got to talking about how like, like the types of advantages people have just because their parents and their grandparents and their parents, like their grandparents' parents were here before, like before them because they, mm. they could buy a house before it got super expensive and they could um, – you know, you know, they had they their grandparents had already done all that hard labor where they had to like learn the language as well as find a job mm. and all that stuff. So, yeah, it was just it was really interesting. Anyway, I digress. Mm. But <laughs> yeah. I would just like to take this opportunity. I've got a little shout out to do. <gasps> yes, please do. Drum roll, please. Um. So I just want to say a quick little shout out to the incredible and incomparable Amelia Tanner, who is one of our loyal, regular listeners and a dear, dear friend of mine. Um, she's on Instagram as Le Petite Costumier. I'm yes. sorry, I cannot say that that's French accent, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, Amelia has been working with Cirque du Soleil for the last year and a half and traveling all across the world um, and has been listening to our podcast along the way and has got people on Cirque listening to it. So we, we've we gone transatlantic, people. Oh, my God. Thank you, Amelia. You're such yes. a sweetheart. She's home now, um, obviously, because Cirque's been shut down indefinitely. Um, but thank you so much, Amelia, and I hope this puts a little smile on your face. We love you. Thank you. We do. All right, oh. then. Yeah. Shall we say thank goodbye? Thank you so much for joining Oh, I was on it. Sorry, oh, folks, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> Bye, ladies. I love you all. <laughs> I also need to go to bed. <laughs> I actually, yeah, that's what we need to do. I can hear him thumping and it's quite ominous. <laughs> I do not envy you. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you have, if you would like to answer the would you rather or if you have a would you rather for us, please hit us up on our Instagram at Having a Moment Podcast. And thank mm-hmm. you for. Thank you, Tals, for, like, guiding us through this conversation as well. Thank you for being so well-researched. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for facilitating this. 
it was all you, but I am so grateful to be along for the ride. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Have a great week, everyone. We're sorry this week's episode was a little bit late, but we'll be back with our regular posting schedule next week. See you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.